0: chapter nine of from bangkok to bombay siam french indochina burma hindustan by frank g carpenter this recording is in the public domain recording by betty b at the rangoon jail the biggest jail in john bull's domains is at rangoon it has a capacity of more than three thousand convicts and is a unique institution the jail is situated right in the heart of the city and is surrounded by lilac-colored brick walls 20 feet tall. High up on their corners are watchtowers, in which the dark-bearded and brown-faced Indian soldiers stand day and night, ready to shoot down any prisoner who attempts to escape. There are more sentry boxes midway of the walls, and still others scattered throughout the vast enclosure, and the prisoners are under surveillance every minute. A squad of soldiers was drilling in front of the entrance when I drove up to it this morning, and inside the jail I found guards everywhere. An official introduction opened the doors for me, and the superintendent gave orders that I was to be shown every part of the institution and allowed to make such photographs as I wished. I was accompanied by one of the Burmese clerks of the jail office, a bright young fellow with a yellow face, brown eyes, and black hair, about which was bound a pink turban below his khaki jacket was his silk shirt wound closely about him from waist to ankles he was known to all the officials and at his word all doors were opened and all cells unlocked we walked together through ward after ward and visited the workshops where more than two thousand prisoners labor from six in the morning until four in the afternoon the first division we entered was the one devoted to the incorrigibles most of the prisoners worked together in great shops of various kinds but in this ward every man labored alone he could not see or hear anything but the sorrowful shriek of the machinery which he and his fellows were operating and these noises sounded to me like the wails of the damned imagine a long hall fifteen feet wide upon which opened perhaps three score cells Each is about the size of a hall bedroom and lighted by a grated window so high up under the roof that the inmate cannot see out. The walls and floors are of cement, and the only furniture is a low bench about two feet wide and eight inches high, with a coarse blanket upon it. This is the prisoner's bed. His pillow is a chunk of wood about the size of an ordinary loaf of bread. Did I say the only furniture? i am wrong there is also a great crank in the cell attached to a bar which extends through the walls and which by an arrangement of cogwheels turns a mill in the hall outside the hopper of this mill is kept filled with raw peanuts which are ground and pressed to get out the oil to turn the crank the convict must use both hands and all the weight and strength of his body moreover he is compelled to keep the mill going throughout the day the cell I first inspected was that of Saw a Burmese convicted of assault with intent to kill. Accepting a light iron collar about his neck, on which was a metal tag bearing his number, he was naked to the waist. From the waist down he wore only a breech cloth, and I could see his muscles ripple as he strained at the crank. He appeared to be making so much of an effort that I thought he was shamming, and I asked the guards to let me try turning the mill myself thereupon the door was unlocked and i took posaw's place the crank moved easily at first but after a hundred revolutions every cord in my arms and chest ached and in a few moments i was ready to drop another kind of work carried on in the institution is making coir a coarse rope of cocoanut fibre the prisoners sit flat on the floor and pound the fibre to reduce it To the proper consistency they keep up their pounding hour after hour and day after day and if they stop are forced by the guards to go on again i asked my guide whether flogging was common no he replied but it is done now and then to keep the convicts in order we went on through enclosure after enclosure containing workshops of various kinds the doors were opened by dark-skinned jailers and the guards presented arms as we went through The prisoners we met saluted us by dropping on their bare knees or squatting on their heels and folding their hands like the little cherubs who look aloft. At first I thought they were praying to me, but I afterward learned that they are required to do this in the interests of good order. No one can knock you over or spring at you with a knife while kneeling and keeping his hands folded before him. It looked odd to see hundreds of men squatting down as we went by in some cases they took tubs of water from their heads and in others laid down their tools that they might clasp their hands as we passed i spent some time in the workshops where almost every industry known to the burman is carried on in the big printing office are many presses and i saw fully five hundred convicts at work there and in the type foundries and engraving plants in the shop next to the printers were the carpenters and cabinet makers And farther on, criminals were carving wood and weaving artistic wicker furniture. We next went by groups of tailors working out in the open, all dropped their tasks and folded their hands as we approached. Most of the expenses of the jail are paid by the profits on the prisoners' labor. They manufacture all sorts of things for the government departments, do much of the official printing and binding, and make most of the weapons and chains used in the jail i saw scores of prisoners in the blacksmith shop forging swords and dirks to be used by the men who guard them and also shaping iron collars for the necks of the incorrigibles machinery plays but a small part in the work of this prison human muscle taking its place the flour used in the kitchens is ground between millstones turned by prisoners who sweat as they toil i saw a gang at such work and was told that each was expected to make and clean about fifty pounds of flour daily still this is not considered punishment or even hard labor but just ordinary work for quite half the flour of the indian empire is ground in similar hand mills as for the sweating of the prisoners any one who exerts himself even in winter in this hot climate is soon drenched with perspiration I was interested to see if the great saws and planers were still worked by treadmills as they were when i was in rangoon years ago i found the treadmills still in existence but idle for they had been displaced by steam-driven machinery it was not so long ago that the prisoners were used like so many horses to furnish the power for a complete sawmill imagine a long narrow room about thirty feet wide in which six great cog wheels twelve feet in diameter are fastened side by side on a single axle running from one end of the room to the other let the cogs of this wheel be boards an inch thick so made that they form a set of steps upon which men tread to make the wheel move by their weight there is a bar above the wheel to which the toilers can hold and to which they can if necessary be chained to keep them at work I saw one hundred and fifty prisoners clinging to that bar as they turned the great wheels by climbing up the steps, yet never getting any higher. The main shaft to which the wheels were attached was connected with the saws, planers, and other machinery, and the prisoners kept stepping up, up, up to the jingling accompaniment of the chains about their legs. The men put at this task were mostly incorrigibles who had committed the worst crimes, as far as i can learn the prisoners are now fairly well treated i saw no flogging and i am told brutality is not tolerated the severest punishment i saw was being administered to a gang of four men who were exercising with cannon-balls this penalty is imposed upon prisoners who cannot be controlled in other ways each man had a cannon-ball weighing thirty-two pounds in his hands and at the tap of a gong they all went through certain movements in unison. As the guard pounded the gong, they lifted the iron balls from the ground. Another tap, and they raised them to their shoulders and then high over their heads. At other signals, the prisoners lowered their burden slowly to the ground. This exhausting exercise goes on for hours at a time, and I am told that the fatigue soon becomes so terrible that the men will welcome any other punishment rather than be assigned to a cannonball drill. The Rangoon prison is excellently planned and well-managed. The buildings are great sheds of one or two stories, radiating from a center like the spokes of a wheel. Guards stand in the central place so that they can keep an eye on a half dozen or more shops at one time. The dormitories are arranged in the same way. Everything is clean and sanitary, and the prison death rate is only 16 per thousand. Among the jail institutions is a large garden, which furnishes enough fresh vegetables to prevent the prisoners from getting scurvy or beriberi. The prisoners get plenty to eat to keep them in perfect condition, and their sleek fat forms are in striking contrast to the lean bodies of the hard-working coolies from India. The convicts have three meals a day. Between five and six o'clock in the morning, before going to work, they have rice and vegetables, and a similar meal is given them between nine and ten, They have their last meal about four o'clock when they quit for the day. Their meals are served simply. The men squat out of doors in long rows, each having a basin before him. Into this the attendants ladle the food, and the prisoners take it out with their fingers. In the case of the Indians, special consideration is given to their caste prejudices about eating. Among the Hindus, only the pariahs, or men of no caste, would eat from the tin vessels used by the other convicts. And I understand that the Indians generally prefer leaves as plates. They use only the right hand in eating. According to the government reports, the average cost of feeding each man is about eight cents a day. The expense for clothing is likewise small, the average per head being about one dollar a year. The prisoners I saw were clad in little more than breechcloths, although a few wore calico jackets as well in this description however i have omitted mention of a costume that some of the criminals wear all their lives i noticed several hill tribesmen with suits of tattooing that reached from waist to knees figures of tigers monkeys and other animals had been pricked into the skin with blue and black inks in some instances there were love charms in red around the eyes the ink used for such decorations is usually a solution of lamp black obtained from the smoke of sesame oil. Tattooing was once common throughout the country, but the custom has died out among the more civilized people and survives only among the primitive tribes of Upper Burma. As prisoners, the Burmese are usually not difficult to control. They are high-strung and proud and will fight at the drop of a hat especially when there is any slight to their personal dignity. Once in jail, however, they are amenable to discipline. In comparison with the population of the country, the number of convicts is large, but the jail population includes also what are known as the civil prisoners, men who have been incarcerated for debt. There is a special department of the Rangoon Jail for such offenders, who are allowed a certain amount of money for rations, each man doing his own cooking neither in burma nor in the rest of the empire of india is the british government neglecting to keep abreast of the latest ideas and practices in prison reform a few years ago a committee was appointed to investigate the whole question of prison administration with special reference to recent legislation and experience in western countries the committee visited many prisons and industrial and reformatory schools in great britain besides touring in the United States, Japan, and the Philippines. Its exhaustive report contained a number of important recommendations, many of which are now being carried out. Attempts are being made to teach the convicts such trades as will be helpful to them in making a living upon their release and to assist them in becoming useful citizens. End of chapter 9